Coming up on Stu Does America, sometimes in battle, it's best to let the enemy defeat himself. That's why tonight we'll be talking about progressive meltdowns. Then the blaze Leon Wolf drops in to talk about a disturbing new trend on social media. I'm very excited to get back to working on tomorrow's 100th episode, so let's burn through these little plug things, you know, double time today. Subscribe to us on YouTube, leave comments for us, like every single video, like even the one you're watching right now. Uh, listen to us on podcasts, iTunes, or wherever. Rate five stars and review. It's great. You know, whatever. And get a Blaze TV subscription. Go to blazetv.com slash stew. Use the promo code stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show. And you'll save 10 bucks. Get all that? All right, good. On to the fun stuff. For the next 24 hours or so, I pledge to continue trying to convince you to tune in to our 100th anniversary celebration special, Stu Does Power Hour. I'll be joined by Chad Prather, Louder with Crowder's Bill Richmond, and Jason Buttrell of the Glenn Beck Program to take one shot of beer every minute for a full hour while maintaining political discourse. Daring to be our sober chaperone on this ill-advised adventure will be a very pregnant and probably very irritated Sarah Gonzalez. That's 9 p.m. Eastern tomorrow night on the official Stu Does America YouTube channel. Don't miss it. Stu Does America. A group of academics, writers, and artists, most of whom are politically on the left side, I'd say, signed a letter that was published in Harper's on justice and open debate. Cancel culture has ventured out into destroying more than just conservatives. Some liberals are finally noticing what Ben Shapiro has been dealing with since he was like, you know, 15. Oh yeah, maybe silencing dissent isn't a good thing. Huh, who knew? But hey, better than 20 years, uh, better 20 years late than never, I guess. So welcome aboard the train, it's really fun. Of course, the letter had about as much impact on cancel culture warriors as a U.N. letter in the face of a genocide. Dear terrorists, please consider kindly ending your systematic slaughter of an entire race of people. We'll send cupcakes if you if you stop. If you don't respond to this letter, we'll count to three. We haven't thought it out past that. One, two, two and a half, two and three quarters. So let's take a look at the left's first pass at actually recognizing free speech. The free exchange of information and ideas, the lifeblood of a liberal society, is daily becoming more constricted. While we have come to expect this on the radical right, censoriousness is also spreading more widely in our culture. An intolerance of opposing views, a vogue for public shaming and ostracism, and the tendency to dissolve complex policy issues in a binding moral clarity. Um, Your general assessment is correct, but the history is a tad off. We've come to expect this from the radical right? Excuse me? Conservatives are having to flee popular social media platforms because standard conservative views are being deemed hate speech and offensive. Welcome to the life of a conservative, guys, where anyone with an opinion is deemed controversial by the media. Joining us now is controversial anti-abortion activist versus joining us now is pro-choice advocate. That's just a sampling of the nonsense we've been dealing with since cable news was born. You were cool with that. But if you get one whiff of it in your direction and it's letter time, that's what I call progressive privilege. The article goes on. Editors are fired for running controversial pieces. Books are withdrawn for alleged inauthenticity. Uh, journalists are barred from writing on certain topics. Professors are investigated for quoting works of literature in class. A researcher is fired for circulating peer-reviewed academic studies. 
and the heads of education organizations are ousted for what are sometimes just clumsy mistakes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> You're preaching to the choir here, guys. Kind of sucks, doesn't it? Ask Kevin Williamson, who was hired from the Atlantic and then immediately fired from the Atlantic because he dared to have the intellectual consistency of his beliefs. He discussed the uh, idea of making abortion a crime punishable by the death penalty. Uh, progressives complain, and he didn't, you know, he's like, I, maybe I wish would have worded that differently. But if you really believe abortion is murder, you know, I mean, that's a whole other situation, right? This is a completely, you know, uh, it's one of these situations where it is, uh, it's always the conservative who's targeted for these things. You can't have an edgy opinion. If you're on the right, agree or not, you know, this is what happens and people get fired over it all the time. Conservatives have been dealing with this for a long time. Whatever the arguments around each particular incident, the result has been to steadily narrow the boundaries of what can be said without the threat of reprisal. We are already paying the price in greater risk aversion among writers. It's totally true. Artists and journalists who fear their livelihoods if they depart from the consensus or even lack sufficient zeal in agreement. The letter is amazing. I mean, it seems like a generic piece of feel-good free speech support, at least for progressives. It has a healthy dose of right-wing bashing, along with the most gentle warning. Hey, guys, come on. Let's not let good leftists get fired here because they don't agree with you passionately enough. Save that for Republicans. Harmless if you're on the left, right? Well, almost as designed to make the point of the left, uh, letter's authors, the blowback was instantaneous on that letter. I did not know who else had signed that letter. I thought I was endorsing a well-meaning, if vague, message against Internet shaming. I did know that Chomsky and Steinem and Atwood were in, and I thought, good company. The consequences are mine to bear. I am so sorry. That was a legitimate response. Uh, by uh, some activists. So your response to finding this information out on a letter condemning internet shaming is to internet shame someone else. This is either the most elaborate, amazing episode of hidden camera pranks, or Jenny is the most self-unaware person in the history of the planet. You'll be shocked to learn that trans people aren't feeling safe about free speech. They've deemed anything disagreeing with their feelings to be harmful dangerous, anti-trans. It's so weird. It's almost like they want to silence anyone who disagrees, just like the letter, you know, says. Anywho, the trans folk at Vox are now terrified of Matt Iglesias. He signed that letter, quote, but the letter signed as it is by several prominent anti-trans voices and containing as many dog whistles toward anti-trans positions as it does, ideally would have been signed by would not have been signed by anybody at Vox. Matt's opinions and experiences are his own and he could do what he wants with his free time. But his signature being on the letter makes me feel less safe at Vox. So here's the logic. My boss co-signed something about free speech. Therefore, he might injure me at the office tomorrow, I guess. I, it's not a leap. That's like a triple jump leap. She continues, I'm careful not to say that the signing the letter of, uh, is an anti-trans act is because, I, excuse me, I, it's, I'm, let me go back to the beginning of that. I missed it. I'm careful to, to uh, there it is. I'm careful not to say that the signing the letter is an anti-trans act it's, because I don't believe that it is. In a vacuum, the letter seems totally fine. I wouldn't have signed it. We need more debate in 2020 usually has un, an understood about, uh, about trans issues. 
Uh, I get why someone might sign it. The point she's making here, even though I butchered the reading of it, is, look, you know, when I see someone say we need more debate, basically what you're saying is you don't like trans people. That's not what the words mean, guys. Then to further explain, she posted this letter that a trans activist made with her alterations. Apparently, it's how trans people read this, which is incredible. So I'll give you a little sampling here. Um, a peer-reviewed academic study about trans people, they insert. And the heads of organizations are ousted what are what sometimes just clumsy mistakes about trans people. Whatever the transphobic arguments are, uh, blah, 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 blah. You just see that she's just inserted the word trans people like a zillion times. That might be how you feel about the letter. You might be reading a letter and then insert your own words into it and it makes you feel bad. That's not the letter writer's fault, though. That's your fault. You're the one inserting those things into the letter. At least trans people aren't too self-obsessed and worried about everything. Uh, You know, they think the world revolves around only them, I guess, because every letter they see, they're just inserting these words inside. That would probably lead to, I don't know, some crazy issues. Sounds like they're just doing wonderful, though. Everything's going fine. It's easy to laugh this stuff off because, you know, look, let's be honest. It's just, it's so stupid. It's just funny. I I don't do drugs, but if I were to go on a multi-day cross-country meth binge, I feel like this is the kind of thing we'd be ranting about in the back of a van in between hits. You know, no, that didn't happen. But yes, this is happening in real life. Let's focus in on one of these real-life examples from the Harper's letter. This is the one. A researcher is fired for circulating a peer-reviewed academic study. Hmm, is that true? What are they talking about? What's the story behind that? It is completely insane. It all goes back to the protests. There was tons of violence. You know, auto zones were torched. People were dying, not at the hands of police, but at the hands of the rioters. A liberal researcher named David Shore tweeted this link to an academic research paper. Post-MLK assassination race riots reduced Democratic vote share in surrounding counties by 2%, which was enough to tip the 1968 election to Nixon. Nonviolent protests increase Democratic vote, mainly by encouraging warm elite discourse and media coverage. Seems pretty tame. I mean, obvious, even. Yes, people are going to react better to a candlelight vigil than they are to turning their local target into a candle. Kind of obvious. And this guy is no conservative in hiding. Here's his Twitter profile. Based in New York City, uh, originally from Miami. I try to elect Democrats. Views are my own rose emoji. Even Lloyd Christmas wouldn't miss that clue. Ah, yes. But what about you, the rose? You say, QAnon, perhaps? I don't know. What is it for? Well, for instance... A rose near their name on social media is a sign they are part of the DSA movement. That's the Democratic Socialists of America, if you don't know. The DSA is the largest socialist organization in the United States uh, in over a century. So he's a proud, open, avowed socialist trying to weaken the power of corporations. Not exactly the lost city of Atlantis level mystery here. White Dems to black people in 2020. This is a great response, by the way. Could you die more quietly? We have an election to win. This is the sort of pushback that came from this innocuous tweet. Of course, the comeback is now that the author uh, of the tweet is racist and just wants to uh, have white uh, people of color just die. But Shore had a pretty good comeback to that one. Quote, 
The author of this paper is not white. <laughs> All right. You know, yeah, that's right. He tweeted a link to an academic study that wasn't even saying violence was a bad idea, just that it was ineffective. And it was authored by a mixed race professor who was born in Kenya that has a degree in race and ethnic relations from Stanford, a master's in statistics and government, and a PhD in African-American studies from Harvard. Just tweeting a link to his study was enough to get him on the verge of being canceled. New York Magazine, also a liberal source, covered the controversy and what wound up happening almost immediately to the evil tweeter. The tweet violated a taboo in some left-wing quarters against criticizing violent protest and led within days to his firing. Yep, he was fired for an innocuous tweet where he linked to a scientific study. And sure, we've all assumed that there was a taboo to opposing violence on the left, but here it is being admitted. So what do you do if you're David Shore now? Well, I guess you... You know, you work your contacts, right? Work your close contacts, people you've built a relationship of credibility with over a long period of time. Luckily for him, he had that network readily available. He belonged to a list serve called Progress Files, which sounds close to pedophiles, but is technically different by several letters. Maybe they should just, I don't know, rebrand? I don't know, putting file at the end of your name is never a good idea. A list serve is sort of like a glorified group text. People can share their views on a myriad of issues, but privately without the prying eyes of evil conservatives or people who might think they aren't biased. Jonathan Chait at New York Magazine, apparently another guy not sufficiently progressive, was the one covering this uh, for the, uh, the, uh, the, you know, this, this whole researcher's story that was going on. He was able to get a hold of the messages that happened after Shore's firing uh, for his tweet. Behold, what you are about to see is a window into the mind of progressives. It is quite a sight. We cannot begin to de decolonize our minds if we do not create uh, uh, safety for those fighting against white supremacy. It is on all of us who do this work, but especially to show up for those already doing it and make sure they are safe. By not acting, we are perpetrating the racism and sexism we know exists on this list and in our community at large. As such, we have removed David Shore from Progress Files. They kicked the dude off the socialist group text. There are some occasional other accusations of bullying that no one can even describe, but it's basically entirely for the tweet of the study. It's incredible. It's tempting to just laugh at this and say, good, you deserve every bit of this. And we probably do need to do that at least a little. I mean, look at how insane these people are when they even talk to each other in private. I rarely post here, but I think the way this conversation has unfolded has been egregious, and I feel called to name that. Who talks like that? What do you mean you feel called to name that, and you want to name it egregious? By the way, egregious is one of those things that can mean one thing, and it's opposite. Did you know that? There are two definitions for egregious. Outstandingly bad and remarkably good, which makes the word totally meaningless, just like these leftists and their messages. They continue, to my fellow white people, if you find yourself leaping to defend a white person when they've been called in for doing something racist, notice that impulse and then slow down, stop, sit down and breathe and feel your feelings. Take a really close look at what you're doing and why. 
Find another white person who is an appropriate person to help you process those feelings. I'm willing to do that for a few folks. Email me directly. Find a different, more constructive action. Keep breathing. Black lives matter. Black safety matters. Black mental health matters. Black emotions matter. Reads like Al Franken is trolling them with a Stuart Smalley bit. I'm good enough, and gosh darn it, people like me. Who talks like this besides Al Franken on SNL? They explain that white people should just read the book White Fragility, which is the go-to explanation for literally everything from the left these days. Quote, if you are white and have ever been challenged to look at your own racism, it is common to feel defensive. If you believe that you are being told you are a bad person, all your energy is likely to go toward denying this possibility and invalidating the messenger rather than trying to understand why what you've said or done is hurtful. You will probably respond with white fragility. Uh, I'll respond with fragility, honestly. I'm not the one getting everyone who disagrees with me fired. It seems like you're the one who's pretty fragile, the one who needs to cancel every person who says something that you don't like. People who call for safe spaces are fragile. People who run from every debate while yelling racism are fragile. The leg lamp from A Christmas Story was fragile. Well, it's technically, technically it was fragile. And if you think this is meaningless mumbo jumbo that doesn't affect anything, look at this. And remember, these are leftists who are journalists and professors and academics. Quote, for those of you who don't realize what makes the tweet problematic, Try not to overanalyze the statistical validity of the research paper and think about the broader impact it will have if people perceive it to be true. This is like everything that's wrong with the world right now in one quote. Don't worry if the research is valid. Just worry how it impacts people if they perceive it to be true. What? That's the exact opposite of what you should do. Reverse that statement completely. Don't worry about how people perceive the truth. Is it true or not? If you take that quote and put the words ignore this right after it, you could put that in the Studas America Constitution. The Constitution, if you will. It's basically a long way of saying the opposite of the Ben Shapiro tagline. Feelings don't care about your facts. This is nuts. And it went on and on. Data and the truth are literally the enemy. These are all real quotes. Quote, Pre uh, present the evidence is an incredibly insensitive to the nature of situations like these. Huh? We need to recognize the role data plays in this conversation, using it to dictate how BIPOC should feel and protest is harmful. BIPOC, by the way, stands for black, indigenous and people of color. And if you ever hear those weird socialist conferences where they stand up and they say, ah, Point, uh, point of personal privilege. And then they ask if they can, like, you know, say uh, uh, they can raise their voice or something. You wonder if they really talk like that in private. Yeah, they do. One response begins. I'd like to be heard. I have been following along with these posts all day and I'm exhausted. Yeah, I know. Me, too. I'm exhausted, too. They go on. Racism isn't always loud. It isn't always brash or demanding, spewing racial slurs with a foaming tongue. Sometimes it's quiet steeped in seemingly innocuous data and facts. Yeah, those racist numbers. I've always found the number eight to be the most racist of all. 
And what about the fact that the researcher is black? Is the black researcher racist too? I don't understand. Well, they got an answer to that one too. The fact that folks first defense of this point, which is a racist point, is to say that the researcher is biracial is literally the equivalent of saying my best friend is black. That is definitely not what literally means. It is not literally the equivalent of that, nor is it a good summary of that. This is a mental disorder masquerading as academia. We could pick this apart all day, and maybe we should. I mean, I, I gotta, maybe we should. You could talk me into it. One more, one more. Beyond that, the idea that the moderators are someone shutting down discord is patently absurd. Worth considering that they are indeed trying to shut down discourse that might actually be offensive or racist for good reason. So is it patently absurd that they're shutting down discourse or are they shutting down discourse for a good reason? Because you just said both. As I said before, it's tempting to just laugh at this and say, good, you deserve every bit of this. I hope you burn in the fire you set. I get that instinct. It's not a great instinct. I mean, I understand it. I agree, you know, maybe 98% of the time we should just be making fun of them. But remember, if they do this to an actual democratic socialist who did nothing wrong, what will they do to you? Will they even look down to the rocks below as they launch your body off a cliff? We're supposed to be a nation that is in a constant journey to find the truth. If we don't continue to fight for that, who will? Oh, I love Black Rifle Coffee. Why do I love it so? Well, I can tell you this. It's always delivered on time. It's the best coffee you can buy. And it's veteran-owned and operated. Um, it is a premium small-batch roast-to-order coffee company, basically. They import the highest-quality beans from around the world and always roast the order that you uh, put in as soon as you order it. Um, and you get the freshest coffee available that way. All Black Rifle Coffee Company blends are available in whole bean and ground varieties. They also have uh, you know, the, the handy-dandy little cups. You can put in the machine. They've got a lot of those as well. The best way to enjoy Black Rifle Coffee is with their coffee club. Uh, Black Rifle Coffee Club, uh, you, all you do is you choose the amount, you get the blends uh, that you want, and they offer to you at a special discount. Plus, they deliver it free to your home or your office every month. If you're going back to the office now, and you've been away for a few months, and you're thinking to yourself, let me make this experience a little bit better. I'm not really looking to dredge in here every day. Black Rifle Coffee Club, it's fantastic. Wake up to America's coffee by going to blackriflecoffee.com slash stew. That's blackriflecoffee.com slash stew. Make sure to enter the code stew to receive 20% off your first order of any coffee products. And that's how they know you like this stupid show. It is blackriflecoffee.com slash stew. Enter the code stew. As cancel culture continues to mutate like Godzilla roaming through the post-apocalypse, the list of victims is growing larger and the audacity of the people throwing tantrums is getting more intense. Behavior reserved for toddlers has now been deemed acceptable for adults as long as their tantrum fits the current definitions of wokeness. Leon Wolf summed this up in a tweet very well. Uh, can we address this grossly unprofessional trend where media figures call out their employers in public on Twitter for disagreements they have with their coworkers? Who trained these people on basic workplace etiquette? Leon Wolf is the managing editor for The Blaze, and he joins us now. Leon, have you found an answer to this question? Uh, the, the consensus from people who replied to me on Twitter is that the answer as to who trained these people was college. Mm. Uh, but, you know, I don't... Uh, 
I don't know that I necessarily agree with that because I, there are a lot of people who are in, you know, college education fields that you don't see engaging in this behavior. It's, it seems to me to be mostly confined to the media. And I, I, I think that it's just the kind of inflated sense of self-importance that most media figures have, you know, where they believe that everyone, you know, just is really interested in hearing what they have to say about literally everything. And, and it would be a crime to not share every thought that comes into their head with everyone who follows them on Twitter. So uh, that, that at least is my working theory as to what is causing it. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny because a lot of times whistleblowers get this like really great reputation. It's this, the ultimate thing you can do. And, and there are times where whistleblowers are incredibly important. There's also times where just whistleblowers are jerks that don't handle their, their issues well within the walls of their work. And it's like, you know, a lot of these things should be able to be ironed out between people. If you have a problem with a worker, go to them, talk to them, say, hey, I, I didn't like what you did here. Can you explain to me what happened? How do we flesh this out? Instead, it's this grandstanding, right? It's this building building their brand publicly, I think, that might uh, you know, cause a lot of this. Yeah, you know, and as I said in a follow-up tweet, if you're going to do something like this, it should be attached to a resignation letter, right? I mean, that's, mm -hmm. that's the thing. If you feel strongly enough about something that happens, then I get it. There, there are circumstances in which you, this might be appropriate behavior. Like if you work in a place where sexual harassment is regularly covered up or, you know, some terrible thing is going on that's not being reported, then, yeah, you should, you should absolutely make it public, but, like, right after you quit. Like, I don't understand the mentality of I'm going to call out my employers for doing this terrible thing, uh, but please continue to pay me my paycheck every two weeks. <laughs> I don't that's that, that that's not something that, that that really makes a tremendous amount of sense to me. And look, if you look at what kind of motivated me to do this, obviously, I think the most recent instance was everybody at Vox freaking out over Matt Iglesias signing that letter mm -hmm. uh, that had the temerity to say that free speech is a good thing. Um, but before that, you know, it was Brett Stevens, you know, was a big deal at the New York Times. All the New York Times staffers were speaking out on Twitter about the fact that people complained to them about Brett Stevens' column. Sorry, I, I don't. <laughs> is this something I, I, I don't care? Is that I, I don't. That is an acceptable was, you know, answer. Yes. <laughs> uh, and then it was, uh, you know, the Tom Collin or Tom Cotton op-ed in the New York Times. Uh, again, you know, the, the basic gist I got out of that conversation was that a sitting United States senator believes terrible things, but no one should hear about it. It shouldn't be, uh, you know, reported upon. So I, I don't know. It, it's confusing to me the things that people think are worthy of, you know, I'm going to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on um Twitter and, and call out my employer. Yeah, and, and but still wish to remain employed. Yeah, it, it's very strange. I mean, like the cotton thing was interesting in that. First of all, like if if you think what he believes is terrible, you should want it exposed so he loses the next election, right? Like that seems to be pretty obvious uh, to me. But I mean, I think there's a line too between criticism in in a journalistic sense, right? Like you can disagree with someone else writing an op-ed at your at your publication. I mean, I, there's nothing wrong with polite disagreement about facts, but to call out internal matters and and things like that, like that should be to me left well behind the walls of the of the actual business doesn't make any sense. It strikes me as you know, I've talked to a friend of mine Steve Krakauer who's 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 talked about this as well, which is like, look, 
this is brand building. They're out there trying to puff their chest out so that people have their opinion rather than them actually just doing their job and reporting. They want to make them the story, which is a terrible incentive for a reporter to have. Right. It used to be that was the exact opposite of what everyone was told to do is don't make yourself the story. Uh, now has become always make yourself the story. But, you know, it. It's just it's ridiculous and sad, and you know, and, and you don't see it in other walks of life. You don't see, you know, like I said, you don't see people on Twitter, you know, going out there, you know, and saying people who work for Chick-fil-A saying, I have written the following email to HR about Dan in the drive through. It's just not something you see in other walks of life. And I, I'm at a loss. Like, look, you know, we work at a company with a lot of like really strong willed, opinionated people. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I don't agree with everything that's said by all of our hosts, certainly, um, except for you, of course, 100 mm-hmm. percent agree with everything you've ever said. Thank you. Thank you. But uh, other 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 hosts, sometimes I disagree with. And, you know, I mean, I've actually had some some discussions with them on Twitter, polite ones, you know, you know, because we are part of the same team. We're part of the same company. We could disagree even strongly about some certain things um, and be polite about it. But to basically publicize a letter that you've written to HR about one of your fellow employees, that's so far outside the bounds of what I was told was acceptable workplace behavior that I, I don't even really know where to begin with it. Yeah, you know, I, I think, especially in a place like this, dis- discourse between employees with strong opinions is, is a strength, right? Like, you should be able to right. talk to people who, who, especially when you see something generally from, like, you know, obviously here we're generally on the right, and the fact that we have a bunch of different flavors of that, I think, is a really healthy thing. You can flesh things out. You can understand them. And it's done respectfully. It seems to me when you cross that line to you're just bashing the person and you can't have a normal conversation with a coworker, you're just a bad person. Right. Like this is not this is not this goes beyond like the idea of, you know, having these journalistic uh, squabbles. This is like just in human re- relations sort of uh, standpoint. You just aren't living up to your side of the normal human experience. No, uh, you know, the, the person in, in who in question, and there were multiple people at Vox who spoke out, but mm-hmm. the one that really got me was the one who said that she literally felt less safe at work yeah. knowing that Matt Iglesias had signed this. Really? Matt Iglesias makes you feel less safe. Matt Iglesias. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't. It doesn't seem that tough. There's there's almost nothing he could do to make me feel less safe. Like if he was standing in front of me with with a gun, I'd be like, "What's going on here, Matt? Is everything okay? Like, do, do we need to talk about this?" I I don't know. It's it's just baffling. I, I, I there definitely is something about people just not being able to face kind of normal everyday human adult interactions, which shocker can include people disagreeing with you. So is it better for us to see this stuff play out on Twitter from our perspective, just to learn about who these people are? Like when it comes to like we talk about liberal bias, obviously, it's a typical kind of conservative topic. You know, in some ways, I think, well, I, you know, I, I'm glad I see these reporters tweet these things and, and be completely unfair and reactionary on the left, because then I know it. I know where the reporting is coming from. But it does completely ruin their any, you know, uh, any belief of objectivity. Yeah. You know, I think you've exactly hit it right. It's a double-edged sword. On the one hand, it's a good thing that we know who these people are. On the other hand, it's probably not great for the health of our country and society that there's almost no one who's trusted by everyone to tell the truth, right? I mean, there's no person 
that is considered to be an authoritative voice. There is no one that any that like 85% of the country can trust anymore. You know, obviously there's going to be 10 or 15% who are going to go their own way no matter what anybody says. But I, I think it would be nice to have, you know, respected, trusted media in the world. And, and they just haven't earned that. Uh, they used to have it and they lost it. And people just don't believe it anymore. And I don't know how they're going to get it back. But certainly this is not it. This is not the way. You know, it, it, we really could have used that during this uh, coronavirus situation, probably the time we needed it most and have not been able to achieve that. Um, part of this, I think, is the it's something particular about the Trump era, if you will, um, where, you know, people talk about Donald Trump as being a divisive guy. And it's hard to deny that he is a divisive guy. But that goes both ways. Like that is the also the, the media has allowed itself to say, you know what? Normally, we have to say that we're being, you know, journalists and we're being down the line. And sure, you might see a little bias. But this is too important. We need to be able to speak out now because this guy is uniquely terrible. And you wind up seeing both of these sides just expand and expand further and further apart. Is this like a never ending thing? Or do you think maybe this uh, is when Trump finishes in one or four or five years, this just ends? I, I don't know. I, I mean, I wish I had a, a better answer for you, Stu. Um, I, I think that a lot of that will be answered by who wins the election in 2020. I think that if Trump wins re-election, it'll probably kind of continue and go back and forth. I think if, if Biden wins, we have relatively more of a chance to returning to, I guess, a quote-unquote normal relationship uh, between the press and, and the political authorities. But I don't know that that's necessarily a good thing either. Um, I, I just don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll see. I, I think that social media, and I don't want to overstate things, but I think that it is fundamentally changing the way that we interact with everything, not just our, mm. you know, our politicians and, and our authority figures and the media, <clears throat> but like, you know, the way that we interact with, with people in general, like in our everyday life. And, and I don't just mean social media, but everything about the internet, you know, like the, the fact that you don't have to go to the store to get groceries anymore. You, you punch buttons on your phone. Someone comes and drops it at your door. You never even see a person. I worry about things like our normal human interactions are degrading as a result of the internet, just because kids, as they're growing up, they don't have to make face-to-face -face contact with anyone anymore. They don't mm -hmm. have to learn kind of the niceties of being polite to people and, and learning, you know, that give and take that avoids you getting, you know, kind of punched in the face from being too far outside the mates. <laughs> uh, and maybe I'm being a little bit facetious here, but I think that's true. And I, and I think that that's being reflected in our politics. And um, we'll see how it goes in the future. But it definitely could be that the next Democrat, especially if Trump wins, is going to be, you know, somebody who's way out there on social media on their side. And, and we'll see. Maybe this is just the new normal. Yeah, I mean, I fully expect Kanye to win. So um, before we go, uh, <laughs> are you excited that baseball is back in a few weeks? I I wish that I could be. I, you know me, Stu. I love baseball more than just about anything on the face of the earth. And mm -hmm. it's just, man, it's, it's hard to get excited about this upcoming season. The bickering uh, between the playership and, and, and the players and the owners – uh, how's it going to be without any fans in the stands? It's going to be weird. A 60-game season is not the same thing. I don't know. The country has never needed a, a return to normalcy, something like baseball, more than it has now. And what we're getting is not going to be, I, I think, the product that we've all kind of be used to. And I think that probably you're going to see before the end of the before the end of the 
everything is said, maybe as many as the third of the players are going to opt out and just not play. Wow. Uh, we're going to be missing a number of, of huge big name stars. Uh, I have a um, tremendous fear that it's just going to end up getting canceled. I think that I think that when people show up to camp and they get positive tests, you know, four or five per team, they're just going to say, never mind, and cancel the whole thing, and everybody's going to go back home. Oh. That's my fear of what's going to happen anyway. Yeah, I mean, it does seem like it's much more difficult for them to be able to pull this off than you'd think. I mean, you know, the NBA is putting people in bubbles, and they still can't stop it from happening. Leon Wolf, managing editor of The Blaze, uh, thanks so much for coming on the program. Where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at theblaze.com. You can find me on Twitter, Leon H. Wolf. All right, back in a second. Don Lemon's program on CNN is basically you know, one long nightly campaign to prove to America he doesn't know what in the world he's talking about. I'd list some examples, but Don Lemon is a noted ratings repellent, so I can only talk about him for a brief time before the audience dies off. But here's a quick example that shows once again he has no idea what he's talking about. But here's the thing. Jesus Christ, if you believe in, if, you, if that's who you believe in, Jesus mm-hmm. Christ, okay. admittedly, was not perfect when he was here on this earth. So why are we deifying the founders of this country? Many of whom owned slaves, and in the Constitution, the original one, they didn't want, uh, they they put slavery in there, that that slavery uh, should should be abolished because it was the way the king wanted. And then the the Congress said, no way. I, first of all, two states said no way. Everyone else wanted it, including the people that you're criticizing, the founders. They were very much against slavery. It was literally one of the arguments to start the country was because slavery sucked so much. They didn't get it through right away. took a little time. But who also, of course, does not recall the wonderful passage of Scripture in which Jesus said, ah, man, I'm pretty screwed up. Just like every other human on the face of the earth. You remember that one? You have to wonder if Lemon, whose name incidentally is also the worst Starburst flavor, I mean, he could not uh, possibly believe that Christians think Jesus is flawed or that Jesus said he was flawed. If so, where on earth did he get that idea? I, I don't know that of all the various denominations of Christianity, you would find one that said Jesus was flawed. Second uh, Corinthians 5.21, Hebrews 4.15, 1 John 3.5. Those are just a few of the passages that refer to Jesus being without sin. So I'm genuinely curious, like, where did Don get that idea from? I've literally never heard that anywhere. But there it was on CNN, your trusted news source. By the way, they uh, made us fact check every freaking word we said over there because they didn't trust us. But apparently Don Lemon can run around changing the core beliefs of Christianity and no one you know, bats an eye. All right, we're running out of time. Having uh, Don Lemon on the screen has uh, you know, really chased millions of people away. I know it's painful to watch. I just felt it was necessary. I am truly sorry, however. Next time we talk about Don Lemon, We will just put a picture of an actual lemon on the screen, but hopefully there will be no next time. Again, my sincerest apologies. Uh, Trying to sell your home is challenging, so you need a real, uh, real advocate. You need someone who's going to pound away at your side of the deal. You need real estate agents I trust. Realestateagentsitrust.com is a company Glenn started, so we can rest assured that uh, they're in business with people that have your same values. They're people that listen to this show. 
or the people who listen to the radio show, the people who like the blaze, people who have similar ideas of what's right and what's wrong. Is a handshake the right time? You know, how do you get this deal nailed down? Realestateagentsitrust.com does a great job making sure you're matched up with a capable, experienced agent who will see your side of the selling process through to the very end and advocate for you. You need an advocate in one of the most complicated and important financial transactions of your life. If you're looking to purchase a home, be sure to partner yourself with realestateagentsitrust.com. Name says it all, realestateagentsitrust. Learn more at realestateagentsitrust.com. Look, again, this is the biggest thing you're probably ever going to do when it comes to your finances. Don't just pick somebody off a bench. Hey, I saw their picture on a billboard. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com, realestateagentsitrust.com. They've sorted through all the agents for you, realestateagentsitrust.com. All right, this next story is such a glorious self-own. If someone handed me this script as part of a comedy bit, I would have said it's too unrealistic to do. But life on this new frontier of wokedivism is full of twists and turns. The band Lady Antebellum changed their last name uh, because, uh, you know, look, Antebellum is Latin for before the war, apparently, and then became uh, commonly associated with grand plantation-style architecture with stately columns, sprawling grounds, and trees draped in Spanish moss. That's been deemed racist, because apparently now even styles of homes built in the 1800s are racist. Colonial homes, I mean, geez, we've got to tear those things down, right? But here's the kicker. They changed their name to Lady A before they, I guess, Googled it because there's another singer named Lady A, Anita White from Seattle. Now, Anita White is black. I know this is hard to keep track of at this point. And now the band says that they don't want to be racist anymore. So they're going to sue the black woman so they can steal her name and profit off of it. I mean, obviously. Today, we are sad to share that our sincere hope to join together with Anita White in unity and common purpose has ended. She and her team have demanded a $10 million payment. So reluctantly, we have come to the conclusion that we need to ask a court to affirm our right to use the name Lady A. To summarize, a white band goes woke. In the process of going woke, they steal a black singer's name. Singer asks for compensation for the theft. Woke band sues the black singer. Well, I think we can all see how wonderful going woke is going for the black community. I'm sure Anita is just thrilled to see this white country band on the side of Black Lives Matter. I am thrilled and happy that we can all come together in this great moment of woke divism. A happy ending for all. Can you believe it's tomorrow, the 100th episode of Stew Does America? I can't believe it's happened. They've already kept us on the air for 100 episodes. I predicted like 12. Uh, So 100 episode tomorrow. We're going to do that normal time, normal show. And then afterward, we're going to have a special 100th episode celebration. It's our 100th episode uh, celebration called Stew Does Power Hour. If you've ever seen me do a power hour before, I've done it once or twice. It is completely ridiculous. If you remember the drinking game uh, back in college days, you might have remembered it, where you have one shot of beer per minute for an hour. Sounds like it would be easy. The first 20 could go down really easy. Then it gets ridiculous. And I will say we're going to try to talk politics throughout the entire thing. It's going to be an experiment. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I would love for you to join, out, join, around, uh, join along at home. Just uh, get your beers together. 
Uh, we'll give you a whole diagram on how to do that maybe tomorrow. Uh, so uh, get that uh, together. Chad Prather is going to be here. Uh, Sarah Gonzalez is going to be here doing the sober thing. I mean, she's pregnant, so she's not going to be drinking with us. Uh, although she did say it today on News and White Matters that as soon as this thing is over, she's in big time. Uh, so well, just eventually she'll be with us. Uh, Bill Richmond from Louder with Crowder is going to be here. Who else? Jason Buttrell will be here. Is that everybody? It's going to be a great freaking show, a fun time. And when, yeah, I think at the end of it, you're going to go rate and review the podcast. You're going to say five freaking stars because five stars will be the appropriate amount of stars. We'll see you tomorrow.